0: Thrilled to be here with you this morning. I really am. I love this church. Sally and I love this church. We love your pastor and his wife. Uh, so it's a real privilege. And anytime we get the opportunity to be here with you, uh, so, and I'm excited about what God has for us this morning. Uh, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So we're just going to jump in this morning. Y'all okay with that? Right. In, uh, second Corinthians chapter two, verse 11, the apostle Paul says to us, don't be ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. So you and I have an enemy, and he has schemes, he has plans, plans of attack against you and I to keep us from experiencing that abundant life that Jesus died so that you and I could experience in our life on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. He has schemes, he has plans, he has traps that he wants to keep us from moving forward into what God has for us. And we don't need to be, as children of God, we don't need to be ignorant of those schemes. We need to be aware. We need to be knowledgeable of those schemes so that we don't fall into his traps amen, and miss what God has for us. And so, uh, you know, one of the big ones, one of the big ones that I see with Christians, with leaders, even uh, in churches around the world is this one. It's offenses offenses. All these little things that happen in life that we can be so easily entrapped by the enemy because we get offended by something and it shuts down our forward growth in God. It will keep us from becoming who God destined us to be. It will keep us from doing all those things that God wanted us to do, planned for us to do. So we need to be aware of this. And what we need to do is each and every one of us, we need to become offense-proof. We need to become offense-proof. We need to get to the place where we are completely unoffendable. And until we get to that place, we are very vulnerable, more so than what many of us realize in the church today. We need to become offense Proof. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I want you, if you would, to turn to John 6, John chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I want to share this one verse with you while you're flipping there in your Bible. In Luke chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus says these words. He says, It's inevitable that offenses must come. Did you get that? That's kind of a a double uh, positive on that. He's saying, It's inevitable. There is no getting around it. Offenses must come. You and I will have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after more opportunities to get offended by different things that happen around us. People, circumstances, situations come again and again and again. And this is a promise from Jesus when he says those words. Now, when you go to the Christian bookstore and you buy 101 Promises from Jesus, the book, guess what? It won't be in there, all right? But it is a promise from Jesus. I've never seen this verse on a refrigerator magnet, all right? But it is a promise from Jesus. Offenses will come. They must come to you and I, and we need to learn to become offense-proof. If you look at this word offenses in this verse, it's the Greek word "scandalon." Scandalon. Now, what does that word mean? That word literally means a bloody piece of meat. A bloody piece of meat. That's what it is. And what that bloody piece of meat was used for was bait to trap A wild animal. You see, if you had a wild animal in that day that was maybe ravaging wild uh, livestock, and so you you needed to catch that and kill that animal, what they would do is they would build, dig this deep pit. They would cover it with you know palm uh, fronds and whatever to, to hide the fact that the pit was there. And they would put over that pit a tripod of tall limbs, and from the middle of that tripod they would hang this bloody piece of meat. It was bait. So that when that animal went out to take a bite of that scandalon, they would fall into the pit. They'd be trapped and they couldn't go anywhere further from there. Listen, that's exactly what the devil does with offenses. They are bait. They are trapped, a set for you and I. People, circumstances, situations, like I said before, they will come again and again and again. And you and I need to be wise. We need to be unoffendable in our life. We need to recognize that this is a scheme of the enemy and a very, very powerful and very, very effective one that he uses over and over and over again. God has given me a tremendous privilege of serving Him in many different places, uh, not just in this nation, but in other nations in the world, training pastors, training leaders, doing national pastors conferences in different nations on an annual basis and what have you. And I look at my life and I think, man, God, if you had not taught this to me some 27, 28 years ago, there is no way that I would be doing what I'm doing today. There is no way that I would be the man that I am today. I would be some fraction, some shell of that man had I not learned this truth from God's word and got this into my life and become unoffendable because I've had so many opportunities, not just in life, but in ministry to get offended and offended and offended again. Uh, One of my great friends uh, in life uh, is a guy by the name of Bishop Mark Karayuki in Kenya, Uh, and Mark, I've been going there uh, every, uh, usually a couple times a year for 20-something years, 27 years now, training pastors for him. When I first met Mark, uh, I was speaking at a conference in Nairobi, Kenya, and he came forward after I spoke, and he said, you're the guy God's been telling me about that I've been waiting for to get here, and he said, I've been praying for somebody to train pastors for me, and so I'm looking for that, and uh, when you were speaking, God said, well, there the one you've been praying for the last two or three years. He's going to train your pastors for you. And I said, oh, okay, you know, well, I mean, I don't really know you. Who are you? And we, we, we began to talk. But somewhere during the course of the two weeks when I was there, my heart connected with him. God spoke to me and told me to come back and begin to train pastors for him. I asked him, "I said, how, so how many churches do you have? You need to train all these pastors. He said, just one, but God told me we're going to plant a bunch of them. I thought, okay. So here we are now, some 27 years later, he has over 1,300 churches across Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, and we planted our fourth one in Mozambique here just uh, in the last year and a half. And so uh, it, it's an amazing work that God's done. And Mark told me 20, uh, God taught me this, and later that same year, I shared this in a teaching there with Mark and the other pastors uh, that we were training there, and he has brought this up, I don't know, countless numbers of times through the year and said, Miles, if God had not shared that truth with you and you would not shared that with me, There is no way I would be the man that I am today, and there is no way that I would still be in ministry today had I not learned this truth. I'm telling you, saints, we need to become offense-proof. And this is such a critical issue, such a critical issue, that what we're going to see from God's Word this morning is that God himself, Jesus himself, will get involved in personally making sure that you and I become offense-proof. Oh yeah, he will. He'll get right in there and he will offend you and offend you and offend you again, trying to bring you to the place where you're no longer offendable. And people go, oh, my God, Jesus, he's really going to offend me? Absolutely. It's one of the things that he will do to help bring you to a place, because it's such a critical issue, to bring you to a place where you are unoffendable. So let's look at this in God's Word. You're there in John 6. And let me just give you a little background before we pick up uh, with the verse that we're going to read together. We are here in John 6. There is a tremendous crowd of people that have now gathered around Jesus at this point in time in his ministry. In fact, if you'll read in there, they're ready to crown him king. And so he's got a quite a large number of people. They're all excited about him. And Jesus is sinking and he's looking at this crowd and he's clearly thinking, it's time to winnow this crowd out a little bit. Let's find out who really is with me. And so what he does, he embarks on a teaching here. We're gonna read in just a second. But before we read it, you need to understand this about the Jewish mindset. See, the Jewish mindset is that there's all these things that are sins, and then there's these things that are detestable sins. And at the top of the list of detestable sins is this thing called cannibalism. I mean, that is fingernails on a chalkboard times a thousand to a Jew. Cannibalism is like the worst possible thing. Now, Jesus obviously is fully aware of that, and he launches into this teaching in John chapter 6, verse 51 through 54. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews begin to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You can see they're already starting to get offended, aren't they? What is going on? What did he just say? He didn't really, did he? He carries on. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. "'Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man "'and drink his blood, you have no life in you. "'Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood "'has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day.'" Boy, I mean, Jesus, he really, he could tell they were getting offended, so he backed off a little bit and kind of, no, he didn't, he just stepped forward five more steps and waded into it even more fully. He pressed the measure further. And we can see the reaction in verses 60 and 61 listen what it says. It says, on hearing it, many of his own disciples, his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Now, how many of you believe that Jesus is asking that question because he doesn't know the answer to it, right? Now, any of you have been in a time with the Lord where God asks you a question, you're thinking, okay, good, Jesus needs some info from me. No, that never happens, all right? This is a guy who is reading everybody's mail. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're about to say. He knows exactly what's going on, and he knows the button that he's just pushed in their life. He knows it offends them, and he's pushing that button on purpose Amen. And asking this question because he knows that they're struggling with it. Amen. And so listen to this in John 6, verse 66. He says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. See, Jesus is going to speak the truth. Saints, hear me this morning. He's going to speak the truth to you and me, whether we like it or not. Whether it fits our little theological grid of the moment or not, he's just going to speak truth and speak truth and speak truth, and it's going to challenge us many times to break out of the little boxes that we have in terms of our thinking. And in the process of doing this, one of the things he's doing is not only bringing truth to us, he's also trying to make you and I offense-proof. Now, turn with me, if you would, Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter three, again, I do a lot of pastor's conferences. And so when you tell something like this to pastors, you say, you know, Jesus is going to come into you and do your life and offend you to help bring you uh, to a place of being offense-proof. They kind of look at you like, do what? I mean, and they look at each other. And so I give them one verse and they're not satisfied. And that's good because I like people who are uh, word people and want to get in there. So we're going to look at this multiple times here. So you make sure, I uh, want to make sure that you get it this morning. Turn to Mark chapter three, turn to Mark three. Jesus is here in Capernaum, in the city of Capernaum, and he's there and he comes to a house there and the crowd that comes to that house is so large, they fill the house, they fill the outdoor courtyard outside of the house and they've now spilled into the streets, a massive crowd there. And we pick this up in verses 31 through 33 of Mark 3, it says, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrive, Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Now, I want you to stop and think about this for just a minute because you can picture the scene. As mother and brothers show up out there. They're standing out in the street. They, they can't get into the courtyard, much less the house. And so they're there at the crowd, and they say, hey, uh, send the word into Jesus. His mother and his brothers are here. And guy goes, oh, okay, I got it. All right. And so he tells the person in front of him, hey, uh, pass the word into Jesus. His mother and brothers are here. Oh, uh, okay, I got that. Uh, and he turns around and tells him, hey, uh, tell Jesus his mother and brothers are here. And it just keeps going that way until finally gets to the guy who's there closest to Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, excuse me, he said, but uh, words been passed through. Uh, your mother and your brothers are here. Jesus said, well, who are my mother and my brothers? He turns around and says, hey, tell them, Jesus said, who are my mother and brothers? This guy goes, really? He said that? He said, yeah, okay. So uh, Jesus said, who are my mother and brother? And you see, it passed all the way back out there, and the guy gets there. He turns around, says, hey, tell him, uh, Jesus said, who are my mother and brothers?'" He turns around. He's looking at Jesus' mother and brother, and he's like, uh, no, you tell him. I'm not going to say that to him. I mean, they <laughs> said, well, what's the deal here? I mean, what, what's going on here? Well, we need to back up earlier in the story back to verse 21 to understand what's really happening here. See, in verse 21, Mark 3 says this, when his family heard about this, they heard about Jesus and his ministry, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. So they show up at the house that day and they say, Jesus, it is so good to see you. In fact, we're so excited to see we brought you a present. It's a brand new white coat. Sleeves are extra long. They tie in the back and you just come with us once you slip that on. Right? That's what's going on. And so you know, here's one of those deals where they're simply offended at what's happening in his life and through his life. Who does this guy think he is? We need to go take charge of him. Now, let me get, let me say this real quickly this morning. Before we pick up stones to throw at Jesus' mom and his brothers, we need to stop and think for a minute. How many of you have ever been offended at Jesus? Come on, have you ever been offended at Jesus? He just didn't do things the way you thought he should. Man, come on, I have many, many times. I, I can remember one of them in particular. Uh, my, I grew up in an unsaved household. Some of you know that about me. I was the first person in my family tree that we know of that was born again believer. And when I got saved to me, my parents called me in within a couple of months and said, you know, hey, uh, you need to stop reading your Bible at home. I said, well, I can't do that. I mean, I've found something that's real and it's changing my life and, and, and I want to honor you, uh, but I can't do that. And they're saying, well, listen, you, you've got, that's just not right. I mean, fanatics are Christians who, who read the Bible at church and you're reading it at home. And so we got a real problem here, right? And that, that was just a reference point for them. And, and so they were, they were, they just couldn't comprehend all this. And as life went on and I'm doing well in business, God had blessed business, my business endeavors. And, and so, you know, they thought that you got this kind of this weird, radical, fanatical Christian aspect to you. But we're really happy that you're doing well in business. And then God calls me out of business and puts me in ministry. And I mean, things go on full tilt. Right. And they're like, oh, my God, what is happening here? And so uh, our Thanksgivings, for example, Christmases, I mean, it was just, you know, uh, pin the tail on miles, all right? That's literally what we do. I mean, it was just mock and make fun of us, all right, the whole meal, all right? And that's just my brothers and my parents. And and so, you know, here we are with this church, and it's growing. And, uh, you know, I just thought, you know, I'm praying for my parents to come, uh, but but I really didn't have any faith for it. And then y'all been, you've been there? Come on. And then, then God does it and you're going, what? It really happened? I mean, uh, and, and so here I am on a Sunday morning in our church and I'm standing there and we are literally like 20, 30 seconds from the start of the service. And our worship leader, who's a really close friend of mine, great guy, and a real prankster on top of that, he comes down off of the stage and he says, Miles, your parents just walked in the back of the church. And I went, yeah, right, whatever. He said, no, 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 your parents are back there. And I said, no, I know better than that. They'll never come in here, man. I mean, I'm praying for that, but I just don't, I don't really think they're gonna come. And he said, no, 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 they're back there. And I said, listen, I, I'm not gonna give you the pleasure of laughing at me for turning around and turning back. And you go, ah, you know. And he's like, no, no, I'm serious. And at that point in time, Sally turned around and looked and she said, oh my God, Miles, they're there. And I said, what? And I turned around, and here my mom and dad are standing back. They just walked in the door, and they're kind of standing there, nervous, looking around. And somebody went over there and started talking to them. I thought, oh, my God, they're here. They're finally here. And so he goes back up on and the stage, and they kick off worship. And, and as they're beginning to start, I'm praying, oh, God, you know, I have prayed for this. I have worked for this, Lord. You know where they are. Let this morning be one of those real calm mornings, you know, a little, you know. It's real worshipful. I mean, come on, Lord, you know? Well, it didn't exactly go like that at all. I mean, the first song is like, bum, 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 and people are jumping, and I'm going, oh, no, 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 what's going (laughs) on? Lord, what are you doing? My God, this is not mean. Come on, you're ruining what I've been working for. And we are in the second, it's absolutely true, in the second song that morning, and God gives me a word, and I'm going, no, not today, Lord, no, no, I'm not. (laughs) Next week, hold that one for next, and he's like, no, this is a word. And besides that, it was not only a word, a prophetic word, but it was a strange one, it was one of those weird ones, you know? And I thought, Lord, I'm not getting, no, I'm not giving that word. I mean, I'm not, you know, and he's like, no, this, and and, and so I'm sitting there arguing with God, and God said, now, wait a minute, Miles, you told me years ago that you'd be like a flag. I could run you up to the top of the flagpole and you'd flap in the breeze. That's what you told me. And I said, yeah, I did, God, but not today. I mean, come on. I need a one-off here. I mean, God said, no, you told me that. And I said, I did, and I can't live with myself if I don't honor my word to you, Lord. And so I very reluctantly walked up there, and I took the mic, and I said this. I said, you know, listen, um, there's a word for somebody here. I think you're a first-time visitor here with us this morning. And and God has a word for you, but so that you'll know for sure it's for you, God told me to call you out by the name of Juliet. And here's the deal. Your name's not Juliet. Your name's not Julie or any form of that word at all, but you know that you know that God is calling you because for some reason, I don't certainly know why, but that name resonates with you. You know God's called you out. And so if you would just step out from where you are, come forward because God has a word for you. And it was just like that. It was just dead quiet. And we sat there and I said, uh, okay. You know, we waited about 20, 30 seconds of dead quiet, uncomfortable, silence. And I said, now, listen, I, I know you're a first-time visitor, so I know that's a little unnerving for you maybe. You've never been in a service like this. And I know you're, 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 you're new here and it may feel uncomfortable, but there's no reason for you to be uncomfortable. And so I'm doing, I mean, so come on forward. We wait another two minutes and nothing ha- uh, Well, You know, come on, I'm going to give you one last shot. and they just step out, there's no reason for you to be afraid. Nobody moves. I turn around and hand the mic back to the worship leader, and I go sit down. Thank you, Jesus, for that very much. <laughs> I remember later somebody said, man, what was on, What were your parents? What were their faces like? I said, oh, I didn't have the nerve to look. I didn't. <laughs> I can only imagine. And so we're sitting there, the service worship part ends. I get up, I'm preaching that Sunday. We have ministry time afterwards. And so, when do we finish all the ministry, and people are filing out, and the last ones are getting prayed for, my parents have now moved up with Sal and they're standing maybe six, eight feet from me over here, just to my right here. And I'm talking with somebody, finish up you know, ministering to them. And, and I see them out of my peripheral vision over there. And I think, oh, that's cool. They didn't take off and run. I mean, they're still there. And, uh, and so that person leaves, and I'm just about to turn to them, and a the girl just steps up and she says, I'm Juliet. I said, okay. I said, well, tell me, how do you know you're Juliet? If that's not, she said, no, it's not my name or any form of that is my name. She said, but yesterday in the store, somebody walked up to me and she said, have you seen that new show about Shakespeare? She said, your hair looks just like Juliet in that movie. And she said, as soon as you said that, I thought, only God would know that. She said, so I'm here. What's the word? And right at that time, saying, okay, Lord, give me the rest of it because I got nothing else. I mean, (laughs) all right. And immediately, he starts giving me some different things for her, and I share those with her, and she just begins to bawl tears just run down her face. She cried. And I talked to her and said, are you born again? Have you ever given your life to Jesus? No, I never have. And she said, I know I need to today. And I said, absolutely. And so will you pray with me to give your life to Christ? And so I, I led her in prayer to Christ. She's weeping, sobs her way through. And uh, it was glorious. And I'm like, oh, man. And I, I'm, I'm, at that moment, I'm just so lost in what's going on. I've forgotten all about my parents standing here. And, and we finish and she's, you know, I'm, the soul gives me a big hug and I hug her. She's got this glow on her face. And I just, I don't know where, I just I just said, you know, I said, can I just pray a prayer blessing over you? Would that be okay? And she said, Oh, yeah, I would love that. And so I reach out and touch. I mean, my hand, just my fingers just barely touched her forehead. And as soon as it did, she took off in tongues. And then fell backwards, no catcher, bang, on the floor. And I'm thinking, I am not looking over here. I am I was tempted to get offended at Jesus because he didn't do things the way I thought he should. Amen. And let me tell you something. Right after that, God spoke to me. just said, let me remind you of a story you've read hundreds of times, Miles. You remember when King David, when they brought the ark back into Jerusalem, and he comes home, and when he gets home, his wife, Michael, what does she do to him? She gives him both barrels from up close, right? Oh, fine thing you are. Real dignified king you are out there dancing around. I mean... And what does David say to her? He said, honey, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm just getting warmed up, man. If you think that was worship, if you think that was abandoned praise, oh, stay tuned. All right. But the Word of God says this. It says, from that point on, Michael was, his wife was barren. The king no longer had intimacy with her. And I thought, oh, Lord, never me. Amen. Never me. Come with me to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. Stay with me this morning. Matthew 15, verses 10 through 13. Jesus called the crowd to him. Matthew 15, 10 to 13. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And Jesus said, oh no, I had no idea. No, of course, that's not what he said at all. He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Now, there's two truths here that we need to make sure we get because this is so critical that we get it. I see this problem all over the world. Here's truth number one. There is a kind of offending which is in the very will and purpose of God. We need to get that. Because God will use offenses, that's what Jesus just said, at times he will use offenses to root people out that don't belong. It doesn't mean always that they're bad people with a bad heart. Sometimes it's people that just need to be planted somewhere else. They come and they get drawn for whatever reason and they're there, but they're not, that's not really where he wants them. And he will use at times offenses to get them to move to where he wants them to go. And it's so important that we get this because what happens in so many churches is somebody gets offended, gets up and leave. Again, whether God's just moving them because they're not supposed to be there, or maybe they have gotten offended and they shouldn't have, and they won't let go of that thing, right, and so God is going to say, listen, you're going to have to move out of here because the bad apple is going to spoil the whole bunch here, so I'm going to need to move you on, right, in that case, and what happens is they get up and leave, and then what happens is people line up like little ducklings behind them and waddle out right behind them. Well, why are you leaving? Well, I don't really know. I'm offended because they're offended, I guess. I don't know. I mean, and you, what is happening? But you see this all over the world, and I would say especially in the churches in America, Right? God will use offenses at times, and if you don't understand that, if he will use offenses to move people, if you don't get that, then you might be susceptible to be one of those who gets offended over somebody else's offense. Here's the second thing here. Jesus never let up on the Pharisees. He never let up on them. And listen to me, brothers and sisters, neither will he let up on the Phariseeism in you. Any Phariseeism in you, guess what? He will just come again and again and again, and he will press you, come on. He'll come and poach you in the chest over and over again till it irritates you. He'll mess with your hair. He'll mess with your glasses. I mean, come on. He'll just keep, he's gonna draw that out of you to bring it to the surface so that you look at it. That's his goal. He doesn't need to know what's in there. He already knows what's in there, but he'll do that so that this thing comes out so that you and I can see it and repent of it. Say, eGad, I had no idea that was in my life. I've had so many people through the years that come to me. Well, Pastor Miles, you know, I I, I got this notebook of all these teachings, you know, and, and I, you know, this is you know when Jesus is gonna return. He's gonna return by next week, next Thursday, uh, you know, and then and then, you know, I got this notebook on this, and I got this notebook on that, and I got notebook on why the gifts of the spirit died in the first century, and I got And I just listen, take your notebooks and shove them. Come on. Back on the shelf. That's what do you think I meant? Come on, that's not right. That's, that's wrong. All right. Come with me to John 11. John 11. John 11. John 11, verses 1 through 6. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Oh, Mary, Mary is the bomb. I mean, Mary's the one who sat there at Jesus' feet. Mary's the one who took the perfume and poured it on Jesus' feet. Now, Martha, Martha. she's just an old house tramp. I mean, Martha, she's in there cooking and cleaning. I mean, she ain't got her priorities right at all. I mean, that's just the way it is, right? Verse three. So the sister sent word to Jesus. That's what we're taught. Come on, you know that. You've heard that. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, let me help you with this. Let me help you make application of this. Jesus is saying this. He says, Lazarus, Martha, Mary, I love you so much. I'm not coming until Lazarus is dead. I love you so much. I'm not showing up until you're dead, right? And so uh, what happens is, is when Jesus comes, you have Martha and Mary there. And what you read in the story is that Mary won't even come out. Word comes to them. Jesus is here. Mary, so offended, she just stays in the house. Martha comes out, but listen to these words. When Martha comes out, look at the greeting that she gives to Jesus in verse 11. John 11, 21, John 11, chapter 11, verse 21. He says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What a greeting. Not, hey, Jesus. Hello, Jesus. Good to see you. I'm so glad you're here. None of that. It's like, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Think there's an offense there? Oh, most certainly. And look at this. Look what happens when Mary finally shows up. Some 11 verses later, verse 32, it says this. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You get the idea that maybe the two of them been talking? Yeah. And they are offended Where were you, Jesus, in my time of need? You see, you told me that you loved me, and in my time of need, you didn't show up. You didn't do what you should have done. You didn't do it the way I thought it should have been done in the time period that I thought it should have been done in, and I'm offended. And I want to tell you this, saints. Read the story. Jesus loves Mary enough to deal with that offense in her. Her and Martha both, but especially in Mary here in the story. Because he looks at that and he knows exactly what that offense comes from. It comes from ego, pride. It comes from uncrucified self. I want things in my way, in my time. Amen. And he loves you and I enough to deal with that same offense nature in us. Hebrews 12, it says this, For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Yeah. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Now, I don't know how many of you in here know Jamie Buckingham. Uh, Jamie Buckingham was the original editor of Charisma Magazine. Incredible man of God, great writer, great speaker, powerful man of God. He's going to be with the Lord a number of years ago. Uh, if you ever get a chance to read any of his books or hear any of his messages, I would in- highly encourage you to do that. And this is what he said years ago in one of the teachings I heard him do. He, When he's speaking about this passage there in Hebrews chapter 12, says, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines." He said, I've always understood this verse this way. For whom the Lord loves, he beats the hell out of. And he said, I mean that in a literal way, amen? God will beat, he loves you so much, he will beat the hellishness out of you. That part that doesn't belong to heaven, but that part that comes from hell. He will discipline, discipline, discipline until that gets out of us, amen? That's his love for us. You see, because Christians, we are so good at this, you know? I mean, we are. Oh, hallelujah. Bless God. How's your week? Oh, praise God. Jesus is so good. I mean, if I were any better, there'd be two of me. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, what Jesus does is he takes us like a, a tea bag and he drops us in hot water, amen? Christians are like teabags. You have no idea what's inside of them until you drop them in hot water. Then you find out what's really in them because it comes streaming out, amen? So Jesus will take you and I, and he will drop us in hot situations, hot relationship issues, amen? And he'll bring that heat in our life so that what's in us comes streaming out. And again, not so that he can find out what's in there. He already knows. But so that you and I will see it and go, oh my God. I don't want this in my life. This doesn't belong in my life. I repent of that. Amen? All right. Are are y'all good? Matthew chapter 11. I'm just going to hammer away at this until you get it, all right? That's all we're doing this morning. Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verses 2 through 6. Matthew 11, 2 through 6. And when John had heard in prison, John the Baptist, had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, go tell, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And one other thing, let him know this as well. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, Jesus is very precise in his words, and he doesn't waste words. When he says something, there's always a purpose in it. So Jesus knows something about what's going on in John the Baptist. John the Baptist was offended? Well, apparently so, because Jesus speaks directly to it. Why would John the Baptist be offended? Well, I don't know. The Scripture doesn't tell us, but it could very well be that it was very likely for him to think in terms of himself being the perfect number two for Jesus. After all, he's the one who introduced him. He was the forerunner, right? And his birth wasn't miraculous exactly like Jesus was, but it was, you know, pretty amazing, right? And and what better person to be the number two guy for Jesus? And yet things have not turned out the way that he thought they would. Well, I just can't believe that John the Baptist would be offended. Well, then look at his question. Look at his question. What does he say? Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Really? John the Baptist was there in the Jordan River baptizing Jesus, and he heard God speak from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And just in case any of us might think that, well, maybe he quite didn't understand fully. Listen, not much later, he points, he tells his own disciples, he points to Jesus over there and he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the earth. Takes away the sins of the world. Oh, my God. I mean, over a cup of coffee and a dollar, I'd say he knew exactly who Jesus was, wouldn't you? Right? And yet here he is saying, are you the one or should we be looking for somebody else? Things haven't turned out the way I thought they should. Man, they see by now I I thought I'd be a life group leader around here. (laughs) What's up? Why am I not on the worship team? Oh my god, they she's up there singing now. My my voice is better than hers. I mean. Hey, 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 how many kingdoms are we building around here? Amen. Last time I checked, there was only one worth building. Amen. And it's not yours, and it's not mine. Come with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Anybody offended yet? All right. You offended with this message on being offense proof 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. Now it happened... When David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from the small to the great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam of the Jezreelitis and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. They were offended. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, listen, leaders, any of you who are in ministry, who are now in ministry or desire to be, believe you have a calling on your life in ministry, this one is especially for you. It's for all of us, but especially for you. You need to get this. The greater the scope of your ministry, the greater the impact of your ministry, the greater the number of offenses, opportunities are going to come to you in life the more, the bigger the offenses will that will come to you. I remember one morning uh, in there praying in my prayer time with God, and I was crying out to God. This was some uh, 22 years ago, 20, 22 years ago. I was in there, and I was praying, I was crying out to God, and I was whining. I was just having a big, giant wine fest, man. And I was crying out to God. said, God, you know, i got all this nasty stuff that's being said about me by some people, and they're spreading this rumor around town, and they're saying that I did these things, and, and I never did any of those. I never said that. They're saying that I was at this barbecue with all these people, and I said all this nasty stuff. I've never even been to that home, much less had a barbecue there. I mean, I don't even know what, but, but that they were spreading that around and just attacking me, and I, a lot of it came from other churches in our area that were afraid that they were going to lose people uh, to our church. That's really where it came from, and so all this nasty stuff was going around, and I was crying out to God. I said, God, you know, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Poor me. You know, and I've I've served you faithfully, and I've done everything that you've asked me to do, God, and why are you letting this happen? And the Lord just spoke to me, very still voice, and he just reeled off four names for me, and he said, go look them up on Google. That's what he said to me, and I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting response, not what I wanted to hear. But he gave me the four specific names. And all four of these people, these are men that I love and admire. Some of them were great mentors to me, especially the first one. And I remember going in there and pulling up my laptop, opening it and just typed in their name on Google and brought up. And I was amazed at what I saw. The very first guy who great man of God, wonderful man of God with great character, been very faithfully serving God, very powerfully used by God, not only uh, locally in his region, but in different places around the world. And I'm telling you, there were four websites, bang, 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 that came up that were there designed to do nothing other than to denigrate this man, tear him down, parse his words and try and twist the words that he said in different messages and, and, and make him out to be somebody who's a heretic. And I thought, oh my God. And then I looked at another one and another one and four, I said, four of them, four of them on page one of Google search. And I'm telling you, I just thought, oh God, you know? And the Lord said to me, listen, Miles, if you're gonna go and do what I want you to go and do in your life, you're gonna have to be delivered from the ease of being offended. Amen? To be delivered from the ease of being offended so I can use you the way I want to. Now, now let me share something with you this morning that, that's good news. The good news is you can't flunk out. Amen. when God puts you in his classroom, you don't flunk out. You don't get expelled. Everybody in here say amen to that. Amen. All right. I mean, I'd have been expelled many times. How about you? All right. That's great news. You can't flunk out. You, you can't get expelled from God's school. But at the same time, don't miss this, you can't get promoted to the next level without passing the test. Amen? So both of those are there. Turn with me to Genesis chapter four. Genesis four. Genesis four. We're almost done. Stay with me. Genesis four, verses two through five. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And people say, that's so unfair. No, I mean, the key is in there. It's not grain versus, uh, you know, animal livestock being offered as an offering. That's not the problem. God actually institutes grain offerings later. So that's not it. It's the word in the course of time. When Cain got around to it, he brought some. Abel gave the first portion. Abel understands the tithe, amen? He's already operating in that in the Old Testament, and you'll see this multiple times in the Old Testament. Those people say, you know, well, you know, the tide doesn't belong today. Whoa, I mean, you see it in the Old, and Jesus reaffirms it in the New, right, that it's there for us today. So he looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you this morning, saints, this is a classic case of offense. That's what it is. This is a classic case of offense. Have any of you in here ever knocked yourself out doing something for somebody else and they never expressed any appreciation for it whatsoever? Your best efforts weren't appreciated, amen? Or or worse yet, uh, maybe you knocked yourself out and did all this stuff and then somebody else took the credit for it. And everybody's giving them praise and thanks for what you did. Oh, I'm telling you, it's a, a classic case of offense. Now, Abel obviously was a great brother in that he didn't go and coddle his brother. He spoke truth to him, to his offended brother. But for being faithful to him, what Cain did is he struck him down. Now, listen to what God says is the result of what Cain did. In verse 12, he says, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. Let me help you translate that today. His work, his ministry will no longer be fruitful. Oh, I've seen a lot of people with ministry, great gifts, but they picked up an offense and they still have that gift, but the fruit is not coming forward from them. They can work and work and work, but they can't produce the fruit that God intended them to produce because they won't deal with that offense in their heart. And then God goes on to say, in that same verse, verse 12, he says, you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And let me tell you, that's exactly what happens to people who won't deal with offenses in their heart. Because of that offense in their heart, they cannot maintain, they can't establish and maintain good relationships with other people. They go from relationship to relationship, sometimes even church to church, and then something happens, and boom, here I am. I'm offended again. It reminds me of what I did before, what I went through before, or it's something new, and boom, I'm out of there again. They become a Christian vagrant, man A Christian vagabond with no real home and no real impact, no real fruitfulness, fruit that remains in this world, amen? That's what happens. We must Become offense-proof. Who can say Amen? You must become offense-proof. Now, uh, there's an interesting story in 2 Samuel chapter two, Two Samuel two. Fascinating story. David's warriors, We at this point in time in history, you have the house of Saul and the house of David. They're coexisting. Saul has not been closed out, all right? David's household is on the rise. Saul's is on the wane, all Right, But you still got the two. And David's warriors in 2 Samuel 2, what they're doing is they're chasing the greatest warrior in the household of Saul, a guy by the name of Abner. Abner is an incredible warrior, the best of the best. And, and David's warriors are chasing him, a group of them. And one of David's warriors that's on the chase after Abner is a guy by the name of Azahel. Now, Azahel, the Bible says, was as fleet-footed as a gazelle. He was so fast. And so while they're chasing Abner... Azahel begins to run away from the others and he begins to gain ground on Abner. And he gets closer and closer and closer until he gets almost to Abner, and Abner senses him behind him. He wheels around, pulls out his sword, and shoves it in to Azahel. And Azahel is killed and dies on the spot. And then Abner runs on. And if you read the story, what happens is when David, the rest of David's warriors, catch up to that place where Azahel, the fallen Azahel, laying there dead on the ground. They stop, they look at him, and they turn around and they go back. They go back. Now, that's kind of interesting story. And I was reading it one morning and God, I read that story, got right to that point in the story. And God says, stop, you missed it. Back up and read it again. I said, okay. And so I backed up and I read it again. I got to that same point. He said, stop, you missed it again. I backed it. That's, sometimes God does that with me. He'll have me read things over and over and over. And it's like, oh, there's something you're trying to say. And sometimes it'll take me six, seven, eight times reading it. And sometimes even after then, God just says, okay, fine. I'll just go ahead and tell you, Miles. You're not getting it, all right? All right. And... I can be a little hard-headed sometimes. a little slow, but the good news is is when I get it, I get it, all right? And so here it is, God, I'm reading this, and he says, stop and and, and read it again. And so I'm reading it about the sixth or seventh time I read that, it finally dawns on me. I said, oh, God, I got it. And God said, yeah. He said, Miles, what's gonna make you stop and turn back? What does it take to make you stop and turn back? About 28 years ago, Sally and I were having... Our fourth child, we had three wonderful, healthy children. We're having number four. We're so excited. He's born. We're the happy, beautiful little boy. I leave him. I go in the room with Sally, check on her. She's doing great. And we're sitting there talking. And all of a sudden, in walked two doctors with these long faces. And I looked at them. I thought, oh, this doesn't look good. And they said, we got some bad news for y'all. You may want to sit down. I said, no, I'm fine. She's already laying down. I'm standing. I'm I'm good. Go ahead. And they said, well, uh, your child has Down syndrome. And I said, Are you sure? And they said, of course. We wouldn't say that unless we were absolutely certain. But that's not the worst of it. Actually, he's got some heart, lung issues. We're not sure exactly. There's something wrong. We can't pinpoint it. And you're going to need to take him into Texas Children immediately and have him checked out. And so we take him into Texas Children's, and they run all these tests on him. And they come in. They call us in. They sit down with us. And the doctor, the main uh, heart surgeon there, heart doctor there, uh, cardiologist, not surgeon, she's sitting there. And she begins to cry. She's weeping. She's trying to talk to us, and she gets choked up. I thought, this isn't good at all. <laughs> they hand us back Daniel, our son, and Sally's sitting there holding him, and she's trying to talk, and she's getting choked up, and she starts crying. She gets up and leaves the room. The other doctor has to fill in and says, you know, well, uh, we got some really bad news for you. He's got two holes in his heart, uh, and he, that's just one of the issues. He has three other major issues. If he had any one of those four issues, there's no way he would live, and he's got all four of them. So the best advice we can give to you, I know it sounds terrible, but the best advice we can give to you is try not to get too attached to him because he won't be here in 30 days. There's no way he'll make it that long. Can, can I tell you that at moments like that in life, the devil is never quiet. Oh, he seizes those opportunities. And he came in there and sidled up next to Sally and I, and he began to whisper to our ears, This is what you get for serving God all these years. This is what you get for all the sacrifices you've made. Here's your payoff. And I heard those, and I turned us out, and I said, boy, the devil is saying these things to me. And she looked at me, and she said, oh, my God, I'm hearing the same thing. And I'm telling you, right there in that room, we just begin to say, I'm telling you what, devil, you can shut your mouth. I do not care who heard me. I don't know how they bring a white suit for me as well. I mean, with the long sleeves. I mean, I don't care. I mean, you are not getting victory here. You are not getting victory here. And if you think that this is gonna knock me out of the saddle, you need to guess again. I'm speaking it out loud. You gotta get you better guess again. This isn't gonna knock me out of the It takes more than this to knock me out of the saddle. You think this is gonna slow me down? I'm speeding up. You think I'm gonna stop making sacrifices? I'm gonna make even more of them now. Thank you for firing me up, Amen. And Sally's right there, Amen. Yeah, and we ain't going anywhere, Devil. We're going. I and mean, was like, Yeah. Now I'll give you the, the end of the story because if I don't, everybody else wants to come out and say what happened. I mean, he is twenty-eight years old now, and he's an absolute miracle, Amen. He's, I mean, we've seen so many miracles in his life; it's, it's absolutely amazing, amazing, Amen. What does it take to knock you out of the saddle? What does it take to make you stop? I've been misjudged. I've had all kinds of motives imputed to me by others around me who don't know me. Said that I said things or taught things, I've never even thought of, much less said them. I've had all kinds of different things happen. I poured my life, I poured our lives into people. I mean, made all kinds of sacrifices of our time, poured into them for years, and they didn't just leave. They kicked us in the shin and spit in our eye and then left, amen? We've had so many opportunities to be offended, and it's like, no, 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 no. No situation. No circumstance, no person, no scandalon, no offense is going to stop me. I'm not taking a bite of that bloody piece of meat. I won't be tricked. I won't be captured. I won't be snared. I'm going to go into everything that God has for me. I want to get all of the abundant life that he has for me, and I'm going to do everything that he's called me to do in my life. How about you this morning? How about you this morning? Would you stand with me this morning? Come on, let's pray that in. Can I have the ministry team come forward? Altar team, would you come? Some of you don't need to leave today until you come up here and have somebody pray with you. If there's something in your life that's hung you up, this morning is the morning for you to totally get that out of your life for good. Once and for all, deal with that thing. Amen. Father, we thank you for the truths that you give us today from your word. Thank you, God, that you teach us You bring freedom to those of us who've been captive. And you bring wisdom to us in advance, those of us who are not yet captive, but to keep us from ever becoming captive. To the schemes, to the snares of the enemy, to the situations that happen when we live in the fallen world that we live in this day. God, we thank you for your goodness to us, your graciousness to us, God, as well as your grace, your empowerment. In our life, so that we can live this life victoriously. We can walk out this life week by week, day by day, victorious over anything and everything that this world can serve up to us, that the devil can try and do to us through any circumstance, any situation, any person. Lord, we thank you that we are victorious in you. We are more than conquerors in you. And we praise your name that you have ordained it so that we be that way. We give you thanks this morning. We give you praise. And all the church said, amen. Thank you.